If you would, please, turn to the book of Ephesians. I'll be reading Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. For this reason, excuse me, let's start with verse 8, not verse 1. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. And so I ask you, not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, inspired, infallible, and by His grace through the Holy Spirit, powerful word to our souls this morning. Father, help me. Help me get and be honest with what you had your servant, the Apostle Paul, write down. May I just say what it says and re-say it and apply it by your grace. And may we have our hearts opened to be saved, to be sanctified, to be molded, to be encouraged in this glorious salvation that you have planned from eternity past and is being worked out now even in this room to the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul says here in this passage in verse 10 so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This verse makes me shake for many in our day who refer to themselves as Christians and yet live a life that is not connected to the church, family, to brothers and to sisters. Yes, they may. I don't mean connected to fellow members of an audience every Sunday morning. For these people, the living organism of each and every part mutually connected and placed there by the master builder that Paul has let us see, that's growing a temple, and to do that life in the context of where they live, in their local church, 
It's really low on their radar screen of life. This verse should make them hopefully be overcome with a horrific, godly fear. We have seen over the past few months in Ephesians 1 and 2 glorious truths. But they're not just for individuals. Because those truths, as Paul has constantly let us know and lets us know again, is for this grand purpose of Christ coming to construct His church. Jesus said, we all know this, one of the most famous New Testament quotes, I will build my church. Assembly of many who are one together. And Paul will later say in this letter to the Ephesians in chapter 5 that Christ loved the church and He gave Himself up for her. Not for you little individuals that just run around thinking, I asked Jesus into my heart. but I have no part of His church. There's an old story where there's a huge construction site and there's a bunch of workers, these men, in this stone quarry banging away and an old man walks by and he wants to say, what is this construction site about? So he goes to the first worker and he says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm chiseling stone. He, hopefully seeking a better answer to what's going on, goes to his second uh, worker. And he says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm making a living. Still with some hope to find out what this thing is all about, he goes to a third Christian. Oh, sorry. <laughs> worker. And says, what are you doing here? And this guy puts his sledgehammer down and chisel down and with gleaming eyes says, I'm building this glorious master huge cathedral. All three men were doing the same job. Only one of them saw how their job fit into the master plan of what was happening on that construction site. And in this passage this morning, Paul wants us to see how our lives, real, everyday, nitty-gritty lives, fit into the eternal purpose that God has for the church. You see, the church, universal. Those who are dead, those who are alive now on earth, those who are yet to come, 
In one sense, there is the church universal, but throughout the New Testament it is clear that the church universal is only seen in this world where people congregate together in local assemblies of thousands of thousands of thousands of those assemblies throughout the world. That church, according to this passage, is the most important Entity, institution on earth by far. Many of us feel passionately about the November election that is to come and the implications of what will happen. But that pale in comparison to the importance of the church of Jesus Christ on earth today. Amen. He got it. And I know you're getting it. So as we pay close attention to this passage, every one of you believers in this room is meant to grasp the reality that you, you, count. You are massively important to this eternal purpose of God, building His church. Every stone in the temple Every part of the body, different than the other parts, is hugely important. Together, everyone is hugely significant in the eternal purposes of God, if you are a believer. In other words, let me just unpack what I mean by that. Your coming to faith in Jesus, your love, ongoing love for Christ, your battle against your own sinful nature daily, your war against unseen demonic forces, your love for fellow members of your local church. Together, we, the church, here, there, on the other corner, in that other country, in that other city, together, we, the church, are the Creator's vehicle for revealing the mysteries of God Himself that are summed up in Jesus Christ. That's our text. So, let's go to Ephesians 3, if you're not there yet. And look at it. Let's see if what I had just said is really there. First, in in the passage, I know I started in verse 8 and we've worked through 1 to 7, but this whole thing, if you go back to verse 1, the whole gravitational pull of this passage culminates in verse 10. It leads to the great goal or purpose for which Christ died. Read it. So that, that's a purpose clause. 
in order that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Now up to this point, we have seen in this letter, Paul has already made clear that the church, by that, he means it's made up of individual human beings who have fled for refuge and salvation in Jesus. They've heard the Gospel and they've been overcome with the deliciousness of it. And it's, yes! And together, they gather. And they're, they're the church. In other words, it's not a building. It's the people. It's not a corporation legally in the state of California. It's the people. It's not merely meeting once or three times a week. There's the church doing church. No, it's the body of Christ. It's the people, one at a time, who are spiritually connected to each other by the one God, the Holy Spirit, through the one Gospel, Jesus Christ. You remember how Paul... Sum this up at the end of chapter 2. Just glance at your page right there. Verses 21 and 22. Paul writes, In whom, that is, in Christ, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So, to get at what is he saying here in verse 10, let me first tackle those two words. Rulers, and authorities. What, what, what does he mean? When he says, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. He means evil spirits. He means the demonic realm. The unseen realm. That's why he says in the heavenly places. Paul's way of talking about the unseen, a world that exists that is not of matter that we can scientifically examine. Now, why do I say that? First, Paul uses these two terms, rulers and then the term authority, two other times in the book of Ephesians. So let's first go to Ephesians 6. <clears throat> Ephesians 6, verses 11 to 12, Paul writes... Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against rulers, same word, archaic, rulers, and against the authorities, same word, exousia. The rulers and the authorities 
against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly place, the spiritual realm. So here, Paul makes clear that he's using these terms, rulers and authorities here, as directly connected to the devil or Satan's schemes. He says, these beings are not physical. You don't wrestle against physical beings, flesh and blood, but against the ones in the spiritual realm, the heavenly places, rulers and authorities. And so these rulers and authorities in this text are the enemies of believers. That's why he says... We are to put on the whole armor of God. We're in a battle against them. Okay. Now, he uses it the second time, and this shows us in Paul's mind clearly that these rulers and authorities have influence over human beings. Individual human beings, influences over how they sin, how they live, how they walk, and human beings when they get together and form clubs, and institutions, or Nazi parties, or communist parties, or differing philosophies, or differing kinds of religions, these beings have influence over humanity. Look at chapter 2 of Ephesians, where Paul uses the two tombs again. Starting with verse 1, he writes, And you were dead, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. That's us, who are believers now he's talking about. We, we're different, something's happened, but we lived a particular way in which you once walked. What were we doing? We were following the course of this world. We were following the prince of the power of the air. Spirit. That is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Okay, you're wondering, at least with the ESV, I don't know if you have a different translation, what, how they did it, but in the ESV, when he says, according to the prince, and that's the word, the ruler. Same word, archaic. Okay? According to the ruler of the power, same word is authority. Rulers, authorities. Exousia. So if, if I translate it woodenly, Paul's saying, according to the ruler of the authority of the air. And air is just Paul's way of saying again, different terms, unseen realm. Okay? Spiritual realm. So Paul is saying that the ruler who is over the authorities, or the authorities, or rulers and authorities in the spiritual world, that's the one here in chapter 2 who is at work in the unregenerate, those who have not yet been born again. That's what he means by sons of disobedience. So, back to our passage. Paul says that these spiritual beings are the ones to whom the church is making known the wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God. These readers of Paul's original epistle in these churches in Asia Minor, they are the church. You're the church. This is what's happening. 
in their various cities and their local assemblies and house churches. We right here in this room are the church. So, first, what is the manifold wisdom of God that we are making known to these evil spirits in the evil darkness spiritual realm. How are we going to get at that answer? Good, I think you know. Read what Paul wrote here. There's the answer. Follow what he says in this context. So here it is, the outline of what he says, and then we'll go look at it. Starting back at verse 1, Paul says step one is this. By divine revelation through the Holy Spirit, the mystery, the wisdom of God, was made known to me and to the other apostles. Step two, we preach it. We tell the world. We go to places and tell them this mystery of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and how it unfolds in this particular way that he's going to get to in a minute. We, we tell it. And it creates the church. Some believe in the church's form. Third step. It is now that church that makes known the manifold wisdom of God. Okay? So, let's take a closer look. First, Paul starts off in verse 3 there of Ephesians 3, saying that the mystery was made known to me by divine revelation, by the Spirit. And then, he's going to go preach it and let people know. In verse 4, Paul calls the mystery, the mystery of Christ. Then in verse 5, he lets us know that it's called a mystery because it used to be hidden. Right? If you hide something, you've got to find it at the birthday party. It's a mystery because we don't know where it is. And then it's found. It's not a mystery in that sense anymore. But it was a mystery. It, it was hidden, but now it's been revealed. This, you can read that verse in the verse 4. Start there. Paul says, the mystery, this is the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men, in other generations, as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Then in verse 6, Paul tells us from in this context what he means, what is the content of this mystery. This mystery is that the Gentiles, the non-Jews, are fellow members of the same body and partakers of the promise. They're fellow heirs, fellow members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of Jesus. In other words, it's no longer hidden. 
But the mystery has been and is being made known to the world. So it was hidden. What, what do you mean? Why was it hidden? It was hidden in the sense that the vast majority of Israel and of the Jews from the past until when Paul was writing just never saw the hints that were throughout the Hebrew Scripture, throughout the Old Testament, the hints that were there that God had always intended to save with His covenant, not just the Jews, but non-Jews, Gentiles, even to Abraham. It is through you, Abraham, I'm going to bless all the nations. And numerous other texts they never latched on to and saw it and fitted into some kind of a theological system. So when Jesus shows up, the man of Isaiah 53 Himself born. They never saw that as a messianic man figure, son of David. Yeah, we're waiting for a suffering servant. Never saw it. When he came to accomplish salvation for Jews and for Gentiles, the vast majority of Israel rejected him. And that's the situation in the first century. It's been the first situation for the last 2,000 years. It will change in the end, Paul lets us know in Romans. There's a time when the times of the Gentiles will be over. But this is Paul's thinking. Again, that's what he means by hidden. And now it's revealed in the coming of Christ. Listen to how Paul says this in Romans 15, 8 to 9 for a second. He says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to the Jews, in order to show God's truthfulness of the Scriptures, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob and their forefathers. He did that to Jews. And Paul's not done, though. And Christ came in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His, mis- for His mercy. So, the mystery of Christ, that term that Paul uses here, is that contrary to most Jewish expectations, Jesus has come into the world to save both Jews and Gentiles in order to make them together one new man, person. That's what he used in chapter 2. One, not two, not separate. One body, the church. Okay, that's step one. That's the revelation in this text Paul receives. Do you see that? Paul receives that revelation. Then he relays it to us Gentiles. Even to this day, he's done it via what he wrote So he relays it in his ministry. He preaches to the Gentiles. And what happens? Many of them have their eyes opened. They are made alive to the wow factor of the Gospel of Jesus. The way Paul says it, they see these wonderful riches. Oh, he knew Jesus' parable. 
The kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. A man stumbles over it, finds the treasure, covers it back up. Don't want anyone else to find that. I want that. And he goes home and he sells everything he has in order to buy that piece of land so that he can have the treasure. And Paul says, that's this gospel. It's, it's unsearchable, immeasurable, unbounding riches. And he preaches it. And people come to faith, which means not that they did some religious thing like ask Jesus into your heart. Their heart changed. They see it. And they realize, these Gentiles realize all these promises in the Hebrew Scriptures that we have translated in Greek to us, and, or for us in English, they are for us, not just Jews. That's what Paul's saying. So, so back to our text in verses 8 and 9, Paul says, To me, though on the very least of all the saints, this grace was given in order to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Paul says, do you see what happened, Gentiles? You've been given the book and the Holy Spirit. And you see in that book there are unsearchable riches and promises. But even more than that, you remember what Paul said to the Gentile Christians back in chapter 2, in verse 7. You know why? He says, God came, took a hell-bound, undeserving sinner like you and made you alive. Verse 7. It was so that in the coming Ages upon ages upon eternity in the resurrection so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His kindness toward us me and you, Paul, and you Gentile believers, toward us in Christ Jesus. Okay. So he preaches it. He gets it by revelation. Then it goes outward and we hear it. Continue the flow. That message that he got creates the church which leads to the goal of verse 10. So that through 
the church, the many-faceted colors, contours of the mystery or the wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And therefore, following Paul, the wisdom of God is God's plan of redemption before He ever created anything which was always purposed to unite two groups that were in extreme animosity and hostility toward one another, Paul let us know back in chapter 2. Jews, with God's chosen people, and then all the rest of the nations. And that from that hostility, God had purposed then to send Christ. And I will show you the, my wisdom, O demonic realm, by causing those sinners from both those peoples to come together and be one spiritual new man. So when Paul says the manifold wisdom of God, it is essentially the same as what he's referring to as the mystery of Christ that was revealed to me. God planned it before He ever created. And through much time, and through after creating His people Israel, and writing a book, it was hidden. It was not known. It was not seen until God the Son became a human being and accomplished salvation in His blood bearing the wrath of God against every sinner who would ever trust in Him. But since He's come, and he's, Paul's here, right? The juncture, first century, it is being made known through the person of Christ and through His apostles and His prophets. And they have written it down for us. It is the mystery. It is the hidden wisdom of God. Remember how Paul said this in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians about himself and the other Apostles who had special revelation. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our church, our glory. So what we see now in verse 10 is Paul says, the church makes that mystery, that is, God's wisdom, the church makes it known. How? Does that mean every single one of us, if we don't have one, we better go get a Facebook account or a Twitter account and post as many Christian sayings and Bible verses and slogans on there as we can? Is the implication of this context Paul saying to these believers in Ephesus and Colossae 
in Miletus and Tros and all the other towns within Asia Minor that this letter is going, that you better get into a street ministry witnessing team or at least maybe once every two years go on a short-term missions trip. Is that the implication of what Paul is communicating here in chapter 3? The answer is manifestly no. That is not the point of this text. Paul says the church is making known God's mystery to the unseen demonic realm. And I do not think that he means by that that before I close, I'll lead us with that microphone and we will all speak to you unseen demons. Let us tell you the mystery of God again. I don't think that's what he's talking about. What Paul is saying here is that the church is called to be the church. And by so doing, by being the church, they demonstrate God's wisdom of the mystery of Christ, of taking Jew and Gentile and putting them together and loving each other through Jesus Christ. That is the proclamation of the wisdom of God to the demonic realm. Paul is saying in the context here to you Gentile believers scattered throughout Asia Minor in these churches, and there's Jews in all the churches, he is saying to the churches, the death of Christ is not in vain. Look at your congregations in your various cities. Whether you gather in those large groups or your constant, ongoing, weekly, or three times a week house churches. Look around. You're a Gentile, but there's three Jews over there. And you Jews, look at these Gentiles. And you worship the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob through the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ did not die in vain, the cross has reconciled us both, Jews and Gentiles, brothers and sisters who care and love each other because we're brand new creatures by the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying to them. And by logical extension of that principle throughout the centuries and today, the truth is this. From any race, all differing cultural conflicting backgrounds, ethnicities, class, slave or free, Rich or poor, black or white, Chinese or Japanese, 
from every group. Where there's hostilities, Christ comes and tears down those dividing walls by His blood. And Paul says the church is making known God's wisdom from eternity past. And so by being that, without saying a word, the church says to Satan in the satanic, demonic realm, take that. Look at us. That's what he's saying. New Testament scholar, Peter O'Brien, I think is absolutely dead on when he writes in his Ephesians commentary the following, quote, The manifold wisdom of God is being made known to the spiritual rulers through the church. Most interpreters believe that Paul has in mind neither evangelism, social action, nor any other additional activity by God's people. Instead, through the church signifies that the very existence of this new multiracial community in which Jews and Gentiles have been brought together in unity in the one body is the manifestation of God's richly diverse wisdom. Its presence, that is the church's presence, is the means by which God Himself discloses to the powers His own richly diverse wisdom. End quote. In other words, this text is saying is that our very existence as born-again people, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, our very existence, therefore, in the church, from diverse backgrounds, Families of origin, likes and dislikes, a pop culture or high culture or sports or an anti-sports site or anything else. It is the very existence of Jesus-loving people who say, we have the most glorious, immeasurable riches in common that unite us. Whether we're a slave or free, whether we're black or white with the history we have here in America, whether we're rich, whether we're poor, our existence as members of local communities, doing life, living life, forgiving one another, exalting in Christ, is the evidence that God in Christ has broken down the barrier wall of division. And it is this gospel of God's manifold wisdom that has produced those persons and thus those churches throughout the centuries that their common thread is their hope in the 
immeasurable riches that God has promised to them in Jesus Christ. That's what drives them. And as a result, those persons do life. They do their life according to that gospel. And it is that that shows the wisdom of God to the unseen realm. The demonic realm knows since Christ, uh-oh, something significant, eternally, has happened since Jesus rose from the dead. And so, okay, good Bible lesson. Learn some things about Christianity. Where's the application? Okay, let me just form it this way then. What you have heard from this text is biblical theology. And that theology is utterly practical for each and every Christian that is in this room. What does it mean? It means, go on! It means continue daily in your lives to set your minds and your affections on the immeasurable riches of Christ in His revealed Word, Scripture. That's step two. They got it and passed it to us. Focus there in your life. And go on with the truth of God's wisdom laid out here. Go hard after God. Don't just be an intellect. Don't just do head knowledge. It's not what we're talking about. With it, go hard after God by the Holy Spirit. Beg Him, bless me. Change me. Let me get this today. I can't forgive that person. Make me, please. It just means being a Christian. And you do this. You do your pursuit of God and worship and of holiness and service and loving others in the context of the local church. That's the text. I opened up this sermon saying that every born-again person, member of Christ's church, is massively significant. I said together, each and every one is hugely important for God's eternal purposes. I says, this is what I mean. I mean, you're very coming to faith in Jesus. Your ongoing love for Christ. Your repentance. Your moving, the way you use your Bible. 
You're fighting your constant inborn sin. You battle against the demonic forces that want to influence you and lead you astray. Your love, service, and care for fellow members of your local body. I said together, the church is the Creator's vehicle for unveiling His eternal divine wisdom. His mysteries that are now made clear through the very existence of you in the context of the local church. We've got, we've got to get this. this because your significance is never in comparison to other persons. It's not in comparison to other persons' gifting. Your significance is not because, if you were in here in one of these, who wrote book after book after book to the Christian community and blessed them. That's not this text. It's not your significance. You'd be missing this text. And neither is your lack of significance because you don't write Books, your significance is not because you do or don't go out on the street and be a street preacher. It's not because you're not a great church planter or social activist or a thousand other worthy causes that some people may be called to. This text is saying to everyone who loves the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit that you are significant simply because you are normal. You're just a normal, everyday person who by the miracle of new birth love the Lord Jesus and thus you endeavor to fight your constant sinful temptations. And thus you seek by God's grace to obey His commands and to do good to others. And you do this in the context of going to the office eight hours a day, five days a week. You do it in the context of raising children 24-7, of homeschooling or doing your business, of being a desperate Christian who cries out in prayer over the Word. You do it in being a believer who contributes their time and their care and their prayers and their energy and their giftings and their money to Christ's family. The church in other words, the significance of this glorious passage that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God Himself was being made known. It's because you simply by seeking fellowship around the Word. By seeking to fellowship with the brothers and sisters in your local assembly. Not always mainly to get, but seeking when you're tired 
to see, can I be a blessing? Do I need to give a loving warning, rebuke, an encouragement, an exhortation, a hug, pray with? This text is a call to just be genuine believers who are united as members in some local church somewhere. Just be a genuine believer. And that you are doing and you are being what God purposed for you to do and for you to be. And the universe-shaking significance of that is unmatched by any other organization under heaven. And so I'm going to read this text again. And as we will then be singing and worshiping the Lord together, we will be passing out the cup and the bread. So if you are a baptized believer, then take of it, hold it, we will be praying over it together. But come and listen to the Apostle Paul. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that God has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom because of His death on the cross because of the bread we will partake and the cup we will drink in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Jesus Father, I, I pray that everyone is as impacted by this passage as I feel I am. May you be coming up this week, each day, through this passage, a powerful encouragement by your Holy Spirit is each and every one of us mundane, normal lovers of Jesus will find that we belong to the most important entity in creation. To the glory of your name. Amen.